welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. And today, we're going to be talking about guys who are allegedly too poor to date and the best mentality you need to take into your dating life as opposed to the absolute worst thing you can tell yourself. And just a reminder that if you want to chat privately with me, find me on the Instant Go app. My username is ShallonXO and click chat to get connected. And be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it. And of course, find me on YouTube for new videos every other day. Have you ever wondered what the secrets are behind some of the most successful women in the world? Well, each week on the Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff podcast, designer Rebecca Minkoff, yes, the girl who makes all of your favorite purses, talks to women from all walks of life, from CEOs to artists. They share their personal stories on the successes and their failures in order to help you tap into the power of vulnerability and find strength in dealing with loss. They also share tips on how to make your inner superwoman shine through. Doesn't this sound totally up our alley? So head on over to Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts for new episodes of the Superwoman with Rebecca Minkoff podcast to get inspired, laugh, and learn a few life lessons along the way. So this first question comes from a young lady named Ellen, and she basically talks about I won't read it verbatim because it's long and kind of rambly. So I'll just, this one time I'm just going to sum it up. But basically she said that her first love, they broke up a little while ago and now he's moved on and he's engaged. And she's just like in a spiral about it because obviously it's hard for your first love to move on. But what I thought was so significant about this question and why I wanted to cover it is the way she described him and the way she described herself before their relationship. Now, they got together like pretty early on in her teenage years. You know, they were like friends and then it turned into something more and they were together for a few years. But she's like, you know, I was always I had bad skin and I was so awkward. I mean, I was the most awkward person on planet Earth and I really started to bloom once I got to college. Like I finally developed a sense of humor and like my skin cleared up and I lost weight. And, you know, when he was there for me through this, through all of that, and I had some issues with my parents and I was in foster care and he was there for me. And, you know, he just saw what was inside of me and I can't move on from this person. I feel like he's so much a part of me. So Obviously, it's a nightmare when your first love moves on. Like a nightmare. It's like your child, you know, like walking into your room one day and being like, I've chosen a new parent. (laughs) And I know that sounds kind of twisted and we probably don't even have kids like to compare it. I know I don't. But it's like it's that kind of closeness where it's like, no, 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 no. You're my family. I probably should have said it's like your mom walking into your room and saying, I've decided to choose another child. Let's go with that example. But it feels that like jarring it's like something has been ripped out of you and ripped away from you and it's now someone else's how can that possibly be but the reason I wanted to talk about this question isn't because of how we get over a first love because I've done some videos on that on my channel check it out but it was what perks my antenna up is that she kind of described him like he she said herself he saw something in me and I can tell that he was probably the first and only person to do that. And this is a concept that I've kind of dubbed the book reader syndrome, right? The book versus reader syndrome. And 
I've mentioned this in a video before and I had wanted to do a whole dedicated video on it, but I didn't even really know like what to call it. Like what, what is this problem even called? So I feel like this podcast is like a good place for it. I want you to think about your favorite book, right? For me, one of my favorite books is The Great Gatsby. I identified very, very strongly with Gatsby. I had a daisy. I oriented my entire life around getting Daisy's attention and getting him back and negotiating so my reality show was on in Canada over the summer because he was in off season and he would see it. Like Gatsby. <laughs> I believed in the green light. And so I read the book every year. And here's what I don't ever care about with that book. I don't care who read it first. I don't give a shit. I don't care if anyone else on planet Earth has read it either. I care about the book itself because the book is the thing that matters. The book is the work. The book is the art. And this is what the dynamic is with Ellen and her ex. She is the book and he is merely the reader. And we give this kind of power to a lot of people in our lives. One of my best friends is entangled with a guy who, I mean there's a lot. <laughs> and I was like, why do you think you can't do better than him? Like, why do you think this is your only option? And she said it almost like kind of offhandedly in the context of something else. She's like, well, he loves the weird parts of me. I'm like, aha, this is the book versus reader syndrome. Like all these guys are doing is seeing what is already there. They're picking up a work of art and being like, this is, a, this is cool. Only they're not even acknowledging, whoa, this is a work of art. They're like, all right, I'm flipping through it. Because if they were acknowledging that we are a work of art, that we are a classic piece of art, you guys probably wouldn't be coming to me, huh? They would be recognizing it, cherishing it, exalting it, and treating it like the piece of perfection that it is. But they're not. They're being kind of douchey. So we're caught in this sort of cognitive dissonance where it's like, all right, on one hand, he makes me feel sort of like I'm super valuable, but yet his behaviors are inconsistent. The things he says and does don't line up. And he's treating me differently than what he says and what he claims to believe about this art that is me. I understand, believe me, what it's like to be young and not even young, what it's like to be any age and you want to be seen. I feel like that phrase just kind of like came up recently. Like I hadn't heard it like growing up. Like I've only heard it in the last few years. Like, oh, I feel so seen. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what human beings need. Like this truly encapsulates our need as people. We want to be seen. We want to be read. We are a work of art and we're like someone, if someone would just read this, I feel like they'd like it. And unfortunately... What could happen is what and could and should have happened is that we all recognize that it's like I am a goddamn classic and we're like you know what no I'm not going to be like sort of glanced at you're going to read me you're going to see me appreciate me and if you don't if you don't recognize the value here you are gone but for some reason we didn't do that for some reason we did the opposite oh I'm a book that only exists if someone's reading me my wonderful weird parts only exist if he decides to accept them. Then I can maybe like myself. Then I can feel like I have value. And why do we even just give guys that power? I guarantee you there are readers reading your book 
in your life right now who aren't a fucking dude, who aren't a douchebag. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your cousin. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your best friends. Maybe it's one of your teachers or your professors. And those people have always been reading you. Those people have always seen the masterpiece that you are. But we're like, who cares? I need a boyfriend. Do you? How's that going? Is it really super satisfying? No, men are a nightmare. Guys are great, you know, whatever. And like, I have a boyfriend. I'm in love with him, you know, most days. Some days I could scratch his eyes out. But like, I don't rely on him to be my only reader. I look around at my life and I'm like, okay, I'm reading my best friend, Diane. I'm reading my best friend, Becca. I'm reading my mom. I'm reading my mentors. And like, they're reading me in return. So I don't need to rely on a guy to come along and and validate me. I was on a trip recently and I met literally the biggest fuckboy I've ever met in my entire life. Like he was vaguely hitting on me. It was like a press thing. So we were all sort of, it was like a work trip basically. And you know what he said to me? We like finally got to like chit chat one-on-one. It was a big group. So it's like, we didn't get a lot of FaceTime with any one person, but we ended up having a drink and um, he's like, you know what? You're really funny. I was like, thanks. He's like, you know, I feel like not a lot of girls are funny. I was like, that's funny because not a lot of guys are funny to me. I think you all are really self-aggrandizing and not very cool. And he's like, like, you get it. I'm like, what do I get? He's like, like I said, you know, you're just, you're funny. And the way he said it was as though he was offering me a gift. Here, I allow you to have this wonderful quality. I have seen you. I have read the book of Shallon and I'm giving it an A. Get the fuck out of here, dude. I don't need you to tell me I'm funny. I know I'm funny. I know I'm smart. I know I'm cute. I know I'm dynamic and I'm a go-getter. I don't need a dude to tell me that. I maybe need my friends to tell me that. I need my family to tell me that. But I don't need a guy. And I'm like, oh, we have created these monsters, these reader monsters. So if you're fixated on a guy, you know, and it's not necessarily a hurt locker situation. Actually, this dude is clearly a hurt locker for her. But like step back and be like, is this just a book versus reader situation? Is he simply seeing in me either the things no one else has seen? And remember, I've talked about seduction in the past and how the key to seduction is to to pinpoint a person's shadow self. What do they feel about themselves like um my shadow self is that I'm kind you know I'm like kind of a tough cookie and I'm a little spiky and prickly and when people say Shallon has a really big heart Shallon's so sweet she's so giving and generous I'm like oh I'm being read like it's wonderful you know so is he seeing your shadow self Is he seeing parts of you that you actually love that like other people don't really, you know, validate very often? Like, yeah, maybe you're not the funniest person in the world, but you are funny and you like your weird sense of humor and he laughs at your jokes. Great. That's great. You need people in your life who are reading you. You need people in your life who are validating you, of course, and seeing your shadow self and recognizing that in a positive way. But if that's all you're getting from this person, If they're screwing around with you, if they're being manipulative, inconsistent, flaky, just general fuckboy, then you step back and you close the book, okay? No masterpiece is ever viewed by one person. 
This next question comes from Bella. She is a freshman in college in Charleston, and she's having some trouble with dudes dating. She says, okay, if a guy really likes you, he'll take you out to dinner, right? Does going to a party together or something or smoking together, does that count as a date? Because guys, like, they act like they want to date me, but then they're like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm too broke to take you on a date. And like, I get it, like college, we're all poor, but there are so many cheap places. And this one guy told me he didn't have any money and then dropped money on alcohol and jewel pods right in front of me. And that did not sit well with me at all. So am I just like aiming too high? Are my expectations a little bit too high here? What's going on? Do you know what I love to do more than anything else, Shaliners? I love to be on a boat. I love to sail. I love to be on a yacht, not like a ship, but like I love boats. And do I have a boat? No. Do you know why? Because I can't afford a boat. They're expensive AF. And here's what I don't do. Break into the marina and steal a boat just because I want one. And I don't stand around and stomp my feet and freak out because no one is offering me a free boat. Where am I going with this? Dating is like boating. If you can't afford to do it, you don't get to do it. No one should be closing the gap between who you are and what you want between what you're capable of affording and what you think you deserve and guys like this are a douchey person who think they deserve a boat i date younger guys like i've dated guys who are in college very recently and like i get that like yes of course money's tight i live in new york city money's tight for me but like i said dating is like anything else if you can't afford to do it you need to not be doing it you need to not be in the dating sphere and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Isabella, I, I see her picture. She's a really cute white girl. She probably dates white dudes, you know, like by and large in Charleston of all places. That's mostly white people. White guys, college educated white guys are apex fucking predators. They're the great white sharks of planet Earth. Well, aside from actual great white sharks, <laughs> like they're the top of the food chain. If they don't have any money, if they're not making ends meet, if they're not producing, they are losers. They're losers. It really is just that simple. There's no glass ceiling. There's no one holding them back. There's no like missed opportunities. The world waits for white boys to get it right again and again and again and again. They get an unlimited number of chances to fail and get back. Oh, give them the benefit of the doubt. They run the world. So for a guy to claim, hey, I don't have any money, is either he's a failure to thrive as a human male or he's lying. And these guys probably are just lying, you know, like, all right, fine, you're 18, you're not making your millions yet, but you are clearly able to afford the things you want and the things that you understand have a value. Alcohol has a specific fixed price. Jewel pods have a specific fixed price. Girls... Oh, I don't know. What's our price? We don't know either. So we're just going to allow someone to keep putting us on a clearance rack until our value is zero. And I'm not saying you need to like value yourself like a prostitute in Amsterdam, but you do need to have a standard of treatment and a standard of behavior. You don't take me out on a date. We're not hanging out. Like, like I said, I date younger guys and like, I actually don't see a huge correlation between like money and age. I, you know, I've dated guys who are poor and they're grown ass adults. 
And I've dated guys who are go-getters who are 23. But it's about intentionality. I don't, you don't need to take me to a Michelin star restaurant on a date. Absolutely not. It makes me uncomfortable, you know, but you do need to take me someplace that you planned something intentional. I don't care if we're going down to Brooklyn Bridge Park, sitting on a cute little blanket, having a bottle of wine and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you made. That sounds adorable. That was actually my first date with my boyfriend. We split a bottle of wine, like sitting by the park and it was like lovely and wonderful. And it was I don't know, $15. He takes me on really nice dates. Don't worry. But like for our, the point is like, I viewed that as a really nice intentional date because he made it intentional. We're meeting here at this time. I'm bringing a blanket. I'm bringing wine. I'm bringing you an iced tea because I know you like it. Like this is our time together. I am making you feel prioritized and valued. And that doesn't have to have a specific fixed dollar amount. But dates we latch onto as a metric of respect because they do have fixed amounts, you know? So we want to know, it's like, okay, there's intentionality there and guys demonstrate that through a date. And if he's not, it's because he doesn't care. And even worse, we don't make them. We don't set that standard for ourselves. And I say this all the time, what we permit, we promote. And when you do this even once, guys get the message. It's like, training a dog or a toddler. And yes, I am reducing guys to both of those things because fight me on it. (laughs) Like, fight me on it if you think that's not true. Like, when we give in that one time, it's like, well, you know, she's cool with it. And I'm not saying that like people and guys have this like big whiteboard in their basement where they're like, ha ha, like my plan is working. Like, none of this has to be intentional, you know? But that doesn't mean it's not happening and it doesn't mean it's not hurtful. Something doesn't have to be conscious and purposeful to do a lot of damage. Hello, drunk driving, okay? Things have consequences. And we, at some point, when we don't put up any boundaries or have any standards and we promote and permit, we become our own co-conspirator. We're, we're just as much part of the problem. You know, like if... If you had like people lurking outside your house who wanted to get in your house and hurt you, you know, or if you were in like a city and there was an army coming and you're like, I don't think we should pull up the drawbridge. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Then whose fucking fault is it when you guys get decimated? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you were part of the problem on this. Like, yeah, they were attacking you, but you weren't doing anything to defend yourself. And as I use this example, I realize that's sad. That's a sad example. I'm using warfare home invasion, toddlers, dogs. But that is who we're dealing with right now. And think about that. That in and of itself is a data point with people like this, that we have to reduce them to stupid and bad things in order to understand their behavior. So that's the category they're in. I'm not reducing them to like, oh, I'm comparing him to Barack Obama or Prince Harry. Nope. Not today. (laughs) We're reducing them to like very irritating uh, things. And like, yes, we need to like have our standards and our boundaries, but I don't go about like training a guy. You know, when I'm saying like, oh, you got to train a dog and a toddler. Like in so far that you need to set your boundaries and they need to view them, acknowledge them and, and respect them, you know, and people do that you do that by deploying consequences. Okay, you don't take me on a date. I'm not answering your calls. Like, And then when you do take me out on a date, I'm not going home with you. This is date number one. This starts here. I don't care that we've been talking for three months and have hooked up twice. Like, 
it starts today because today is the day you decided to hatch and become a man and treat me like a quality woman. So the clock is reset. And I'm sorry you didn't get that memo that you could have set that clock to start three months ago. And like, we can do that, of course, and we should. Like, we need to have, have those standards. But like I've said before, I'm not in the business of training. I don't want to do that. I'm not anyone's emotional parole officer. I'm not their rehearsal track. I'm not, no, you come correct to me or you don't come at all, literally and figuratively. This question comes from a girl named Kelsey and she had a really interesting question. It wasn't about anything specific necessarily, but she said, Shalyn, I want to become a bad bitch. I want to become a badass. So I really want to avoid toxic thinking patterns. And like, what do you think is the most toxic thing we can tell ourselves or the most toxic behaviors we can engage in? And how can we dispel that? So I really enjoyed this because, you know, again, this is something that I love to do maybe a specific video about. And maybe I will, but it's also kind of hard to figure out even what to title it. So I think the worst possible way we can approach life, whether it's work or dating or friendships, is fear-based thinking. Every single problem girls have with boys circles back to fear-based mentality. Every single one. What will happen if he leaves me? Who will I be if I don't have a guy who likes me? I'm so weird because I don't have a boyfriend. He's the only one who's ever going to love me. I am not the book. If I don't have him, what am I going to be? I have to do whatever I can to hold on to him. It's basically internal terrorism, you know? And that goes for friends too. I can't cut off this toxic person because then who am I going to sit with at lunch? I can't acknowledge that our friendship has run its course because she's been an old friend and like, what kind of asshole am I going to be if I cut her off and I don't want to step into this new phase of my life without this person? And certainly with jobs and careers, like, yes, we tell ourselves this and not necessarily always incorrectly. I mean, quitting a job without any sort of financial plan is not a solution to your stress, right? But we tell ourselves like, we can't do any better. Like basically we think all that we have is all we're ever gonna have. So we have to do everything we can at the expense of our own dignity, our own health, our own boundaries and standards to hold on to it. So I try to stop and pull back and reframe things. When I like freak out about something, I really try to take it to the absolute worst case scenario. Absolute worst case scenario. And then I and then I start from there. Like I don't try to solve the problem baby step. I, I try to solve it in the macro when it's like, okay, what is the ultimate catastrophe? What's my game plan for that? And then I'm like, oh, okay, so I do have a game plan. So maybe this isn't as catastrophic as I think. So I can now handle these baby anxiety thoughts. So pull back and I think, okay, Honestly, if I got fired from my current job, do I really think I would never get another one? Am I just going to retire now at the HIM? Really? I'm going to just sign up for AARP and give up? Do I really think if I cast out this awful friend, I will never make another one? Ever in my life, not one. I'm going to walk the earth alone like the Incredible Hulk. Do I really think I will never get laid again? I'll never have a date again. I'll never have a guy talk to me and be interested in me if I cut this fuckboy off. I mean, I honestly think some of you guys are answering that last question with, yes, I do think that. I do believe he is my only chance at happiness. 
Also in times of crisis, I rely a lot on statistics, math. I'm not like a mathy person, but there is strength in numbers, you know, and not like the way the traditional phrase is meant to be. But like there's 8 billion people on planet Earth, 8 billion. If there were 8 billion dresses available to be purchased and you didn't like the dress you had on and there were 8 billion other ones, would you be like, no, I just, I got to stick with this one. Nope. For the rest of my life, mm-mm, got to make this hideous, ill-fitting, off-trend dress work because I refuse to go out and look at any of the other billions of dresses waiting to be worn. No, that would be crazy. Would you eat the same food if you didn't like it? No. You acknowledge that there's other foods. Why do we fo- Why do we say, oh, but this guy, this guy? Well, it goes back to what I was saying, the book versus the reader, right? At the top of this podcast. This all circles back to the same thing, the fear-based thinking. So when we can pull back and get a little bit of objectivity, you realize you, how silly you sound. But the terrorist inside of you is making those threats and demands that are so ridiculous, they're laughable. You know what I mean? And fear-based mentality makes us a really bad friend too. Just like, I mean, nobody wants to be around the crybaby. Nobody wants to be around a self-terrorist. And people who are crybabies are usually terrible, or I'm sorry, terrified of something. And they're also drama queens and narcissists. So if you're seeing this kind of constant behaviors in your friends or people you know, sit them down and be like, hey, whatever's going on inside with that little internal ISIS person you got, let's set it down. Because all of our bad thinking really does come down to fear-based thinking. And so the way to like disconnect from this and get back to a place of strength and confidence, I think, is to connect with the parts of you that you genuinely love. And probably the last time you acknowledged all the things that you liked about yourself was when you were a kid. Because when you're a kid, that's all you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be learning and growing and oh, they're so curious about dinosaurs and ice skating. Ah, that's great. But then puberty hits and it's like, well, here comes boys, huh? I mean, I've been boy crazy since I was five, but (laughs) for most people, it starts a little bit later. And then it's like, oh, I I can't, I can't like read about dinosaurs anymore. That's stupid. No, I have to spend my time watching YouTube videos about makeup because that's what's important because that's going to get me a guy and that's going to make me valid and worthy and seen. That is now the thing that I have to be doing. No more like books about dolphins. Like, no. No more nature shows, no more playing soccer, no, no. Get back to who that dorky kid was. Follow those threads. When was the last time you spent an hour indulging in something you loved as a kid? Just an hour out of your day or even out of your week, reading about something you liked, doing a fun, silly activity hobby, playing mini golf with your brother, whatever it might be, get back to there. And remind yourself of your value. Remind yourself of your own curiosity and your own interestingness. And then when that fear-based thinking comes, you're going to look at that little terrorist and be like, who the fuck are you? Shut up. Shut up. You're not making any sense. I'm never going to find another boyfriend. Okay, go. And you're going to feel more in control. And that is how we approach life from a place of power. And that is how we repel borders and keep toxic people out of our lives.
That's all for this week, Shaloners. Thanks for tuning in. And like I said, if you have a love question of your own that you need some help on, find me on the Instant Go app and click chat to get connected right away. Also, find me on YouTube, Shallon Lester. Click like and subscribe for new videos every Friday and a bunch in between. And be sure to follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at ShallonXO. Stay savage.